Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Are you looking forward to that day? Come on, are you looking forward to that day? And she just closed her eyes and went back into that coma. 
Early this morning, she slipped off into eternity. I just have to believe that she was seeing a glimpse of what was to come. And there's just no better way to describe it. Wow. Oh, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. Our heartaches are ended. Our trials are over. No more sickness. No more pain. No more death. Hallelujah. Most of all, to be able to see the one who died for me. Praise God. What a day. Oh, what a day that's going to be. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sister Rebecca. Amen. Praise God. So glad tonight to have Brother Terry Witt with us. He's preached for us before. It's been a little while since he was here, but we're so glad that he's here. I, I do wish that it had been in better weather and perhaps the crowd would have been better. I know there are folks who are not here tonight because of the weather. And, uh, yet we're here. Glad that we're here. The man of God is here. Amen. What else do we need? Praise God. If we're here. God's here. The man of God's here. We don't really need anything else, do we? Amen. Even when it's just a few, the presence of God can meet with us in a very special way. Amen. So we're so glad to have Brother Witt here. I want him to come tonight. I want him just to take his liberty, whatever he feels on his heart. Would you say it with me, Brother Witt? Preach to me. Brother Witt, preach to me. God bless you. Thank you, God, regular praise the Lord, everybody. What a day that will be. You know, we can't comprehend that day. We're used to life and its aches and pains and its problems. Hallelujah. And... To show you how much we love life, it really doesn't compute when you back up and look at it. He was talking about fear this morning. There's one thing that the majority of people in this world fear, it's death. Now, if you took that out of the equation, all of us would go to heaven right now. But it's death that stands in the middle unless the Lord comes before we pass. And we don't know that. You know, I love going on vacations. I plan. That's what we're doing. Of course, it's going to be an eternal vacation if you got your soul right. But people, you still, I've heard, I've watched all my life pastor, preachers and evangelists and pastors say, uh, anybody ready to go to heaven? Anybody want to go tonight? But we want to go. Hallelujah. But what a day it's going to be. Hallelujah. I want to be ready. Above all else, I must be saved. Hallelujah. I was also thinking just a few minutes ago, as you can be seated for just a few minutes, as uh, your pastor was talking about praise and worship, uh, Psalms 150 and verse 2, the last portion of that, uh, if my memory serves me correct, it doesn't say praise Him according to how you feel. Praise Him according if there's enough money in the bank to pay the bills. Praise Him if you're on the mountaintop only. It says praise Him according to His excellent greatness. 
We might as well get rid of the clock and the calendar if we're going to have to praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Hallelujah. But it's amazing yet to me, and I'm guilty of it myself. We come into church so many times and we allow what we're going through to dictate to us how we're going to worship and praise God. I want to throw all of that aside tonight and I want to worship Him for who He is. Hallelujah. For who He is alone is enough to worship Him. Hallelujah. Uh, forget Him going to Calvary just because of who He is. He's worthy of our honor, our praise, and our worship tonight. Uh, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, I want to give Him the worship that is due uh, unto His name tonight. Hallelujah. Why don't we give the Lord a good hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Clap your hands like you mean it tonight. Uh, how good has God been to you? He's never failed you. He's never let you down. He's never been late. He's never been early. Uh, but He's been right on time. He's a great and a mighty God. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. We worship you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I want to say it's an honor again to stand in this pulpit. Thank you, Brother Reagan, for the invitation to come. And uh heard someone say it today. I believe it was Brother Hilton talking about the snow and how beautiful it was. Well, I heard somebody say they hated it. I said, oh, no, don't say that. I said, I like it. Until this morning when I thought I was having to go to Leavenworth. And you rent a car and they give you that brush. I don't have no gloves. I thought my fingertips were going to fall off this morning as I knocked that snow off that car. And driving the day in it, I thought, now I see why people don't like the snow. I wasn't going that fast. I was on 10 headed to 35. I was going to eat in that area over there. I know I shouldn't say that because you are fasting. But anyway, yes. But anyway, I uh, I went going that fast and I hit the brakes and the car started sliding and my thro- my heart went up in my throat. I was like, oh Jesus, this ain't fun. Hallelujah. Keep this car straight. Hallelujah. But it's good to be here in spite of the snow and the cold temperatures. Of course, I like the cold weather where I come from. You walk out and you can just take a breath and you're sweating. And that's not exaggerating too much, folks. Hallelujah. I left uh, to go out west a little over two years ago, and the sun had not even come up, and it was 88 degrees and 100% humidity. Hallelujah. So you can't have everything like you wanted. you got to take one side or the other. Hallelujah. But it's good to be here. And uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, Job chapter number 1, Psalms chapter number 34, I want to say that I have sincerely enjoyed and needed preaching of the word that Brother Riggin preached the other night, teaching at the watch night service. I sincerely enjoyed it, and even again today, and I will tell you that uh, I thank God for the confirmation more than once that I received today as your pastor preached and taught. And I I don't, I've not come tonight just to preach, but I I really believe the Lord wants to minister before we leave here tonight. You know, I, I pray all the time, God, I don't want to just be a preacher. I want to be a minister. There's a lot of preachers. Hear me tonight and understand what I'm about to say. There's a lot of preachers in Pentecost. But ministering's a whole nother different story. I want God to minister in this house tonight. Hallelujah. Job chapter number one, verse number one. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. That man was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. 
There were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep. And it begins to talk about what he had. Drops on down and says, In a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Psalms chapter number 34, verse number 15. The psalmist writes, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the... Verse number 17, The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that have a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Now, we're fixing to put our Bibles down. We're going to pray, but I want to say something before I do, before we do that. I heard this statement made not too long ago, and it has stuck with me. If there's any area tonight or one of the areas that the devil in this day and hour is working overtime, and I'm telling you right now, you're going to hear some polyparrot from what you heard this morning, but that's the Holy Ghost wanting to talk to us. Uh, I already knew what I felt to preach, and Brother Regan hit on some of the things, so I believe God's trying to talk to us. But we have ears to hear tonight. It's not because I'm standing up here, I'm preaching to myself, but uh, I want to hear the voice of God. But if one of the areas that the devil is working overtime, and that is destroying the faith of the people of God. Hallelujah. You hear me tonight. He's working overtime to destroy our faith. And I heard this statement made. It said, faith closes its eyes to what it sees, and it opens its ears to what God's saying. Think about it, friend. Faith closes. Oh, preacher, that's, that's hard to do. This is what we want to do. Okay, I got my eyes closed, God. Now, hold on just a minute. No, faith closes its eyes and walks by faith. And it opens its ears to what God's saying. I want you to put your Bible down and we're going to pray. And I want you to pray and ask God. You need to drive out any unbelief, any doubt. Let the Holy Ghost have its way. Heavenly Father, we thank you again tonight. Oh, God, for what we've already felt. But, God, we've come to the most important part of the service to this point. And, God, I'm nothing. I stand before you in need tonight. I pray, God, that you would anoint my mind, my lips of clay. Put your words in my mouth. Speak through me. God, anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. And let there be a response in this house tonight. God, I pray that you would let the anointing destroy every yoke. That we would drive out the unbelief, the doubt, and the fear that is in this house. The discouragement, the depression, the despondency. God, I'm believing you for a mighty move of the Holy Ghost before we leave this place tonight. God, we thank you in faith for what you're going to do before we close the doors tonight. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you tonight in the lovely name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's thank God for what He's going to do here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Pastor said it today, and I've been saying it for the last several months. I believe that we are upon the greatest days that the church has ever seen. I believe that tonight. I believe we've got greater revival ahead of us. I believe we've got greater works, greater miracles, but I'm going to balance it out tonight. I also believe we've got some of the darkest hours you and I have ever seen. And that right there is what's causing us to doubt. 
I'm telling you, there are people that live, have lived for God for all of their life, like me. This is all I've ever known. And there are things that are taking place because of the economy. I'm just going to preach real tonight. Is that all right? Reality where we're living. And it's making people question. We've had it. I'm telling you, I've had everything handed to me in my life. There's not been much that I've had to fight for. But the fighting days are ahead of us. It's time to put on the whole arm of God and fight the good fight of faith. It's time to put the devil in his place and let him know, devil, there's some things ahead that I don't understand, I don't like, and I don't even agree with. But devil, I'm not backing down. I'm not surrendering. I'm not going back on God's promises. I'm standing on God's promises. I'm standing on God's word. His word is forever settled in heaven. If he said it, I can believe it. I'm going to close my eyes to what I see around me. And by faith, I'm going to walk hand in hand with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There's probably not a greater example in all of the Bible than Job. Job, the Bible says, was a perfect and upright man. He feared God and he shewed evil. That word of shewed means he avoided evil. He didn't go trying to see how close to the fence he could live. He was an upright man, lived for God. He had a large family, seven sons and three daughters. God bless him. I don't know what I would do with ten kids. I'd probably go insane. I've got three, then we live in 399.9 square feet, and that gets small. Ten kids. God bless him. Again. He had a great substance. He had everything a man could ask for. One of the greatest households. One of the greatest men of the East. Things are going great. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Where have you been? He said, Oh, I've been just going to and fro throughout the earth. And the Lord asked him an interesting question. He said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? What a compliment to Job. I, I hope to pray, I hope and pray tonight that uh, when Satan goes before the Lord, uh, that it, the Lord can say, Have you considered my servant Terry Witt? What a compliment. God knew and had faith in Job. And, and the, Satan said, oh, yeah, yeah, but listen, the only reason he's doing what he's doing is because you, you got your hand on him and you bless him and uh, you just give him everything he wants. But if you'll let me get a hold of him, uh, he'll curse you to your face. The Lord said, put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan said that. And the Lord said, Satan, behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And verse 13 says, And there was a day. Have you ever had one of those kind of days? You wake up, the sun's shining, not a cloud in the sky, everything's going well until the phone rings. Till you walk out to the mailbox and there's a bill you weren't expecting. Uh, and, and it seems like life begins to fall down around your ears and it's everything's crumbling. And before that day was over, Job had lost all of his livestock. And all of his children and all of his servants except a few. His world is reeling. If that wasn't enough, chapter 2 rolls around. The Bible says again, there was a day. You ever had one of those days? Day after day, week after week, month after month, things it seems like falling apart, it's not going well. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the church is in that right now. The apostolic church is under attack. Uh, there, You don't know the men that I have talked to evangelizing that said, uh, uh, Brother Witt, we can't even hardly pay the bills. I know one church where every single man in the church was laid off. Don't shout now, friend. Run the aisles now. 
You see what I'm talking about? It's making people start to question. God, do you really love us? God, do you know where I am? God, uh, what's going on? Faith. Faith. Faith being tested. Faith is being torn down. And now, uh, Satan again is before the Lord. But notice this time, God kind of sticks it back at Satan. He said, uh, again, hast thou considered my servant Job? There's none like him. Uh, he said, but look, you have, uh, uh, you've, he still holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. He's still holding on, Satan. You took a pretty good swipe at him, but he's still living for me. Satan said, yeah, skin for skin, uh, let me at his life. Let me at his body, his flesh, his health. God said, okay, but don't take his life. And the Bible says that Satan again departed and he struck Job from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet with sore boils. No relief in sight. It's only getting worse. And if I can put it this way, it's as Satan kind of leaves the scene and life jumps in on top of Job. And his wife looks at him and says, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just throw in the towel? And it seems like everywhere Job's t- Job turns, something's working against him. If that wasn't good enough, then he's got three friends or so-called friends that come. You ever had those kind of friends, Brother Riggin? Everything's falling apart. Things aren't working out. Things aren't looking good. All they can do is this right here. At least say something. Help me out a little bit. Just they sat in dust and ashes. Hey, they didn't even recognize him. That's how bad a shape Job was in, friend. That's where a lot of people would have quit. Thrown in the towel and said, what's the use after all I've done for you, God? I've lived for you. I've paid my tithes. I've paid my offering. I come to church and worship. I testify. I show up for work day. And this is what i got to go through? No, no. What we have tonight is a picture of a broken man. A broken man. Now let's, let me give you a few definitions or adjectives of the word broken. Broken means reduced to fragments. Torn, fractured, not functioning properly, disconnected, weakened in strength and spirit, reduced to submission, not smooth, rough, irregular, ruined, spiritual, spiritually bankrupt now brokenness is not something that any of you and i sign up for we did not pray through matter of fact some people pray through with a misconception that when you pray through and get the holy ghost that it's just a bed of roses it's a tiptoe through the tulips it's just going to be mountaintop to mountaintop you just jump right over the valleys and and boy it's just riches and and uh name it you claim it blab it you grab it well we don't find that in the word of god brokenness is a part of life Brokenness is a way God gets us to where He wants us to be so that He can use us. It's not fun. We didn't pray through at the altar that night and say, Okay, God, give me the clipboard. I want to sign up for trials and tests and tribulation and sickness and disease and heartache and pain. I'm excited. God, I'm ready. Sign me up. No, not on your life. But it happens. Hallelujah. It happens. God never promised us that everything was going to be hunky-dory. But he did said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we quote those scriptures a lot of times, and we it's easy to quote them to somebody else that's going through something, Brother Reagan. But when you're going through, through something, friend, why don't you look in that, rear, uh, that mirror and say, God, you promised me that you'll never leave me nor forsake me.
me, uh, but you would be with me even until the end of the age. God, now I'm standing on that promise. Uh, it doesn't seem like you're anywhere around, uh, but God, you promised me some things, uh, and I'm holding on to those promises. Hallelujah. But he did say, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Peter writes, uh, speaking about the trial of your faith. He also wrote the fiery trial, which is to try you. We could talk about Paul tonight. You go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12. Everything that Paul went through for the sake of the gospel. He went through it, my friend. He had to suffer some things. And Brother Reagan talked about it this morning. thought it was very interesting how he brought it out. I've always heard it. And if there's any votes, yeah, I'm pre-trib. But I don't see where God's taking votes. And when you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. We don't want to talk about that because the church today at the point... Uh, several months ago, we were probably the highest as we've ever been, more blessed than ever before. But we're going through a deep, dark trial. But I'm going to tell you, God is still with the church. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. you got to stay in the church. There's no hope out there. You quit, it's going to get worse. Stay where you know there is hope, and where there's safety, and where there's security, where there's strength, and there's help. Hallelujah. And we all want to talk about faith, and we love the good side of faith, but what about the dark side of faith? What about that uh, chapter 11, Hebrews? Oh, we can quote many of the Scriptures. Uh, but about toward the end of it, after he talks about those that were made strong and, and uh, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, and women received their dead, raised to life again, we'll shout over that, okay, preacher, I'll sign up, give us revival. But it goes on to say, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection, but others had trial of cruel mockings, scourgings. Yea, moreover, a bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. We don't even know their name tonight, but by faith they received and obtained a good report. I don't know about you tonight. I don't know what we're going to have to face. I don't know what we're going to have to go through, but God, let me have the faith to keep walking with you no matter what. If the bank goes dry, if the stock market collapses, if the world goes into war, whatever, God, I know that you gave me some promises and I'm standing on them tonight. I'm not going anywhere. I'm planting my feet on the rock and my mind's made up. Hallelujah. And so... We can gripe and complain. We can come to church and take it out on God. We can sit around and question all day long and end up in a quandary in our mind, messed up and to the point where we'll drive ourselves insane. Or, and this is the first point I want to make tonight, we can do what Job did. Job's initial reaction when he lost the servants, his children, and his livestock, the Bible said, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and griped. And complained. And blamed everybody else for his troubles. 
And pointed, no, 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 the Bible says that he fell down upon the ground and he worshipped. I'm going to tell you something. Anybody can run the aisles and leap for joy and shout the victory and dance when you're on the mountaintop. But what about you, friend, when you're on rock bottom? Can you still come to the house of God? Hallelujah. And worship him and lift up holy hands without wrath and without doubting and say, God, I don't care what I'm facing. I don't care what I've got to face tomorrow. What's waiting around the corner right now i'm gonna worship you because you're worthy you've never failed me you're worthy of the highest praise hallelujah hallelujah it's all right worship him I don't feel like worshiping. Uh, don't you know what I'm going through? Uh, oh, he knows what you're going through. Uh, and he wants to see. Uh, and the devil wants to see uh, what you're going to do about it. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, you back up to Psalms chapter 34, the beginning. Uh, David wrote this at, uh, when he was going through some things. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Oh, it's easy to quote it. It's another thing to do it, to live it. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. you got to understand, friend, many of these Psalms were written in the wilderness. When things weren't going well. When people were going through trials. That's where the story's told. When you're on the mountaintop, anybody can live for God. When the bank, uh, the bank is running over, anybody can live for God. When you're in good health, anybody can live for God. When you don't have any marriage problems and job problems, anybody can live for God. But there's something about that person that walks through those back doors. Everybody knows they're losing it. Things are not going right. And they lift up their hands. They got a smile on their face. They got something burning down on the inside of them. Devil, you're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my victory. I'm going to worship God no matter what. We could talk about Paul and Silas tonight. Acts chapter 16. Their backs are laid open. They're in the inner prison, the dungeon. It's dark. It's midnight. I, I don't know how long they had been there. Uh, it would have been real easy. The flesh would have said, uh, Silas, if you'd have just kept your mouth shut, we wouldn't be here. No, Paul, it was your fault. You're the one that don't know. They didn't do that. Uh, but at midnight, uh, they prayed uh, and they sang praises. Uh, friend, it wasn't 24 hours later, a week, uh, a month, uh, a year. Uh, but the Bible says, and suddenly uh, there was a great earthquake. Uh, every door opened. Uh, every chain fell off. Uh, and revival broke out. Hallelujah. I said revival broke out because somebody made up in their mind I'm not going to let the situation that I'm in control me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And he said, naked came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job realized everything that I had, it was because of God. I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. He's still worthy. And in all of this, the Bible says, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So remember that. He never sinned. He never charged God foolishly. Did he get an attitude? You better believe it. Did he have some questions? Yes. Did he understand everything? No. 
Matter of fact, you start out in chapter number 3. The Bible says he opened his mouth and cursed his day. And he spake and said, let the day perish. Wherein I was born in the night in which it was said, there is a man child conceived. Verse 11, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? It's amazing when we get in trials and tests. Man, this was one of the richest men in the world. And just that quick, bam. A perfect and upright man. What would have happened if he wouldn't have been perfect and upright? He, we probably wouldn't even be reading about him. Hallelujah. But he was human. He was flesh just like you and I. He hurt. He had questions. And uh, Brother Reagan talked about it just a few minutes this morning. His friends, and they began to interrogate him and question him and blame him. And it didn't get any better. Hallelujah. Chapter number 7, he said, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise and the night be gone? And I am full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. Now, understand, remember, don't forget, this is a man that is broken. This is a man that has lost everything but God. And many times when we lost everything, we think we have lost everything, but we haven't lost God. Hallelujah. I said, we haven't lost God. And so he was down, and then it seems like in chapter number 13, he's up again. And we loved again to quote these scriptures. I hope you get that point tonight. It's easy to quote them. It's a whole other thing to obey them and to live up to them. But Job, in the midst of what he was going through, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, though he slay me, yet I'm going to keep my trust in him. Can that be your testimony tonight, friend? Hallelujah. Chapter 16, he's back down on the bottom. Verse 12, he said, I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. His archers compassed me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach and he runneth upon me like a giant. Questions, the misunderstandings, wonder what's going on. Chapter 19, again, the same man, this time, back it seems on top. He said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh. Yet in, you know what Job was saying through the eyes of faith, there's coming a day when all of this is going to pass. There's coming a day, you see, the devil, when we come to church, all he throws up in front of us is our problem. And it's, uh, that's one reason we can't worship, uh, because we got our eyes on everything else and everywhere else uh, but God. Uh, hallelujah. That's why you come to church. Uh, you got to leave everything outside. you got to cast your cares on Him. Uh, and you got to bring every thought into captivity, uh, because every time we come to church, uh, God wants to talk to us. Uh, he wants to strengthen us. Uh, he wants to encourage us. Uh, he wants to help us. Uh, but when all we can see is our problems... We hold back. We make excuses. Chapter 23. Very familiar scriptures. Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew or I might find him. That I might come even to his seat. You ever been there before? You in your prayer closet? You're by yourself? Oh, God, where are you? If I, could, if I knew God, I, I'd march boldly. That's what you're supposed to do. The Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace. 
He said, Behold, I go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, but I cannot see him. But I want you to notice verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now I want to take a detour for a few minutes. This is real simple, yet profound. Tell you something, God knows exactly where you are tonight. It doesn't seem like it does. He doesn't seem like he does, brother. No, God knows. I'm going to show you. He knows. Because in John chapter number one, I was preaching several months ago, studying to preach a message, and I read toward the end of the chapter, and it just jumped out at me. Again, it's very simple. It connected. Hallelujah. And, and by the way, let me just, you know, a lot of times you can sit there and think, well, what's that young man going through? Well, I'm going to give you a little testimony in a few minutes, but you're not the only one going through it. Don't Please don't get don't let the devil back you in the corner saying, I'm the only one that's going, no, he's just trying to control you that much the more. We're all facing things. We're all going through things. Your problem's not bigger than my problem. My problem's not bigger than your problem. They're problems. But the Lord is in the process of calling his disciples. He finds Philip. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And he finds him and he tells him, listen, Nathaniel, I'm paraphrasing. He says, I have found the one Messiah. The one that they've been, the one we prophecy talked about, the one the prophets. I found him. And I'm going to add a little bit more to that. Nathaniel, he found the one that we've been seeking for. The one we've been praying about. And Nathaniel's initial reaction is skepticism and doubt. When he tell, makes the statement or the question, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip didn't get into a, a long discourse with him. He just simply said, come and see. So picture with me. Philip and Nathaniel are walking down the road. And they're evidently close enough to where the Lord is. He sees them coming. And the Lord makes one simple statement. It really doesn't amount to a hill of beans when you read it by itself. He says, behold, an Israelite in he, indeed in whom is no guile. That's it. And Nathaniel hears that and he says, wait, hold on. Jesus looked at him and said, I want to tell you something, son. Before Philip ever called you, I saw you under the fig tree. A preacher, what does that mean? Well, the fig tree was a place that they went in the heat of the day for cool, for uh, coolness and, and rest and relaxation. But it was also a place of meditation and prayer. How many times, brothers and sisters, had Nathaniel sat under his fig tree, tears uh, streaming down his face, uh, seeking uh, for that Messiah. And it wasn't by happen chance, uh, but it was by divine inspiration of God uh, that he came walking down that road that day. Uh, and it was just a mere statement. Uh, Behold, an Israelite, uh, indeed, in whom is no guile. That's all it took, friend. And Nathaniel latched on. Hey, uh, there's something different about this guy. How does he know who I am? He knows me. He knows my name. And I want to remind you tonight, Job knew it. He knows where I'm going. He knows the path I'm walking down. He knows right where you are. There are some of you here tonight. You've been sitting under the proverbial fig tree, crying, hallelujah, reaching out for God. God has seen every tear that you've shed. He knows right where you are. He knows your situation. Oh, I know, folks, it's hard to get out of the minds around a you little puny person. But God, think about it. 
God knows exactly where you are tonight. God is looking down on your situation right now. Why don't He get me out of it? (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. Hallelujah. Is this all right tonight? God knows where you are. Now let me give you a little faith booster. Not biblical, but personal. I have been evangelizing now, and I thank God. Please, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you the facts. Uh, What is today? Today's day. Third. Three more days will be four years that we've been evangelizing. God has been more than good to us. But within the last probably seven months since I've been back from the West Coast, things have slowed down. And uh, finances and, and uh, again, I know that's going through a lot, of, a lot of people are going through this. But, and questioning why it seemed like every door was slamming shut. And I had talked to my father-in-law one day, my pastor, and, and he had felt, he'd been feeling in the prayer that there's a transition in the, pop, in the, in the future for us. I still to this day don't know where, who, when, how. That even makes it harder sometimes. You know, waiting on God for nine months to evangelize, I knew where I was going, what I was going to do. Now I don't have a clue. And so my mind began to spin and trying to think ahead and figure out. And that was probably five months ago. And, and again, I'm not complaining, but in seven months I've preached one revival, friend. But God's faithful. And God has supplied need after need after need. I've received checks out of the clear blue. I'm telling you, God knows where you are. Oh, He's going to test us and find out how much faith we have in Him sometime. But God knows. And just a few, well, about a month ago, right at Thanksgiving, I was probably, and I'll admit it, I'm man enough to admit it, I was probably the lowest I've ever been in my entire life. Questioning, wondering why. You ever been there? Okay, good. And uh, my wife knew it. She's probably the only one besides God that knew how low I really was. And it was affecting a lot of things. And we were on our way back to Florida from Illinois. And we stopped in and I was scheduled to preach in Lebanon, Tennessee. And uh, I went to church with this very message. And uh, power of God came down. Tremendous church, tremendous move of God. Pray in church, worship in church. Power of God came down. God began to move. Just a little bit more in that place would have went up in smoke, but God had a plan. Turned it over to me, and I preached this message with a heavy burden on my heart. I still, you have to forgive me, I can't help but get emotional about it. And I get finished preaching, and I step back, and I just begin to weep standing behind the pulpit. People were coming to the altars. And I just felt to turn to the pastor and ask him if he would pray for my wife and I. He didn't know a thing. God did. I stepped down off of the platform. My wife was by me. And I saw him motion for his wife. And they began, and I felt people gather around us. They began to pray for us. The power of God began to move in that place. And we began to cry and weep and reach out for God. And uh, kind of died down. And we were still praying. And, and the pastor's wife, uh, my wife's family, is very clo- have been very close to her for years. And and their family, and she is a woman of God. She's not a preacher, but she is very sensitive. God uses her. Matter of fact, four years ago, or four and a half years ago, we got our very first confirmation. God used her in the Holy Ghost. Our second confirmation that we were to evangelize. I may have told that story when I was here last time. But we're back in the same church. Little did I know I was so down. I think I may have mentioned it, mentioned it in prayer. But my wife prayed this. She said, God... I'm not worthy, but I know you love us. And if you would, would you please bring it full circle and talk to us again? 
And I'm telling you, friend, God... I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm telling you, God knows. He knows when you're at your weakest link. He knows when you're at the bottom of the rope and you've tied a knot and you're barely hanging on. And Mom Johnson pulled us to her. I on one shoulder, my wife on the other, and we just sobbed. And she began to travail and intercede in the Holy Ghost. And she let go of us, and she stepped two or three feet down the altar. I just knew something was fixing to happen. Tongues goes forth. And the interpretation came forth so strong. And you hear me, I'm not lying. Four and a half years ago, the very first word spoken out of her mouth, God again started out the same way. And said that I have called you. Your calling is not of man, it is of God. But from there, the message was... And you got to understand, I was down. It seemed like every door had been shut. And God said, I am in the process of closing one door that I may open another. And I never close a door that I don't open another. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, friend. But I'm telling you, I was on rock bottom. And God zeroed in on me over a month ago in a service. There was a lot of other needs there. And there was needs that got met. But I'm telling you, God loves us. And He cares about us. Don't let the devil back you into a corner and say, Ah, oh, I'm telling you, don't listen to his lies. God knows right where you are. Hallelujah. Now, I built somewhat of a foundation. If you'll give me a few more minutes tonight, I want to preach on this thought on the other side of broken. On the other side of broken. In our text tonight, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. He hears every cry. He hears it. He's watching. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all. A-L-L. There troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Now, we know what the word broken means, but it's almost, he adds emphasis, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. That word contrite there means literally crushed to powder. Again, there's nobody signing up and saying, oh God, just crush me. Just obliterate me, God. I, no. If you do, we're going to check your temperature tonight. Because you ain't human. We don't want, we, nobody likes to suffer. Nobody likes to go through things. Nobody likes to, uh, again, talking about fears. There's that fear of the unknown. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Job's not the only one in the Bible that learned what it was to go through a state of brokenness. We find in Genesis chapter number 32, the story of a man that has been broken. A man that is... Let me tell you something. Sometimes one of the reasons that we go through a state of brokenness is is we put our own self right smack dab in the middle of it. Now, Job, God let down the hedge. And God knew that Job was going to make it. But others, we make wrong decisions. We don't listen to pastor. We don't listen to elders. We don't listen to mom and daddy. We just get high and mighty and too big for our britches and say, I can handle it. And then we get in the middle of the brokenness and we want to start pitching a fit, screaming and hollering. Well, just buckle up for the ride, friend. But Jacob was a thief and a conniver. He went about doing things his way. And God blessed him some. God gave him a vision, a dream. Been a lot of time that's passed. But now, Jacob realizes that if I'm ever going to get complete and total victory, Brother Riggin, I'm going to have to go back and make some things right. One reason we stay in brokenness sometimes is because we don't, we're not willing, man enough and woman enough to make things right. 
But if you want to get on the other side of brokenness, you're going to have to come to that realization. I've done some things wrong. I've done some people wrong. I've made some. I've got to make it right. And so Jacob is on his way back to meet Esau. And he sends word. And the word comes back. It didn't do anything on Esau. He's been festering and harboring a grudge for many years. He's mad. He's ticked off. He's upset. And he's on his way to kill you, Jacob. And the Bible says that night that he stepped across the brook. And he was all alone. There's some of you here tonight that feel all alone. The world's crumbling down around you. The questions you, you don't have answers for. And the Bible says that there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, friend, that's all night long. I wonder how many times we get in our prayer room, in our prayer closet, or maybe it's a fast, or whatever it is, and we stop right before the blessing. We give up right before the miracle. Hallelujah. We quit right before victory. All night long he wrestled. All night long sweat pouring off his body, getting weary. And the Bible says that the day the sun began to come up, the day began to break. Hallelujah. And the uh, the, the cry went out, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go except you bless me. Give up too easy sometimes. We allow the devil to fill our mind with doubt and unbelief and questions, and we just throw in the towel and say, Well, I've been doing it all night long and I still don't have the answer. What's the use? Just hold on a little bit longer, child. Child of God, just hold on just a little bit more. All night long, he's weary. He's been wrestling. Hallelujah. And the day breaks and he's holding on now for dear life. And if it couldn't get any worse, you think it does get worse because the Bible said that he touched the hollow of his thigh. That's right there where we'd have checked out and said, Oh, here I am trying to fight, and now I'm crippled. And now he's crippled. And he's hanging on for dear life. I'm not going to do what I did one time. One time I was going to act this out, and I grabbed the wrong guy, and it didn't work out. He put me on the floor, and that wasn't what was supposed to happen. But anyway. But he's hanging on for dear life. Crippled. Broken, Brother Riggin. Guess what, friend? It got worse. Because then the question comes, and this is what really rocked him. I read one uh, theologian, one commentary that said it was as if he dropped to his knees. When the question came, what is your name? What's that got to do? The past. That past. One of the devil's greatest tools when we start slipping and we get weak. Uh, things aren't going well. Uh, he begins to dredge up the past. Uh, oh, you remember how it used to be. And you remember where you failed. And you and oh, Jacob, I probably thought, you, I, you've, I'm already crippled. I, I've wrestled all night long. Uh, Esau's on his way to kill me. Uh, and now you've got to ask me what my name is. Yeah, because I'm in the process, Jacob, of taking Jacob out of Jacob. I'm, on the pro- I'm in the process of trying to get you on the other side of broken. Yes, sir, friend. And on the other side of broken. Hallelujah. A man that was a thief, a conniver, went from Jacob to Israel. But it didn't happen until there was some brokenness. Hallelujah. We could talk about the three Hebrew children. They went in bound into the fiery furnace. Oh, they made their statements of faith on the outside, but they still went to the fiery furnace. And they fell down. It got worse. They're bound with... 
Just a few minutes later, that fourth man was seen in the fire, and they were up walking around loosed. He's still in the fire tonight. Hallelujah. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the stories of the day. The Bible says 5,000, let alone women and children. Another place it was 4,000. They're hungry. There are broken people, sick, maimed, hurt. Their lives are in an uproar and turmoil. And they've come because they know Jesus is a miracle worker. Hallelujah. And here's the thing. His own disciples were clueless. Hey, God, these people are getting hungry. Why don't you just send them back to town? No, boys, you don't understand. It's time for another miracle. There's broken people out there. There's people that could go home and they don't have anything to go home to. Make them sit down. The Bible calls it a wilderness place. Another place, it calls it a desert place. Some of us are in the wilderness tonight. The desert, it's hot, dusty, dry. No water, no refreshment. The Bible says, what do we have? Oh, just a few fish and two. What's it? I can't forget now. Five, five. Yeah, five loaves. And the Bible says two small. Don't just say two fish. Two small fish. There wasn't much there. And we come to church sometimes. And that's what the devil starts talking to us about. You don't have much to offer. Why don't you just sit back? Nobody even know if you're here. And, if you... and we know we don't have much talent. We don't have much to offer. I'm telling you something. In your broken state, if you can come to church and just offer up the little that you do have. And that boy gave it to Jesus. And you go read it, friend, and I know it's symbolism tonight. But the Bible says that Jesus blessed it and he broke it. And you talking about uh, uh, bug-eyed uh, as they watched the, that fish uh, and that bread multiply. Uh, hallelujah. Before it was over, uh, on the other side of uh, broken, uh, there were 5,000, uh, let alone women, uh, women and children, uh, that were fed. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, uh, there were 12 uh, basketfuls uh, remaining, friend, uh, on the other side of uh, broken. Uh, if you can just hold on long enough, uh, there's plenty on the other side. Hallelujah. Maybe tonight... You're in a state of confusion, broken, battered. You're not understanding. Hallelujah, what's going on? Luke chapter 24, we find the story of two men. Verse 13, on the road to Emmaus. They're broken. They're bruised. They're battered. Their world has come crumbling down. And I'll tell you why it came crumbling down. Because they didn't listen. Oh, you've been preaching that, Brother Reagan? You haven't been listening. You see, we make the statement, and understand me tonight, I know you, you say it's a play on words, but we hear the old statement that we have a problem with selective hearing. We don't have a problem with selective hearing. We have a problem with selective listening. Every one of you here tonight, and I know we have those that cannot hear. They're the only ones that are not hearing what I'm saying. You're hearing, but are you truly listening? It's just like when mom and daddy told you to take the garbage out. You heard, but I didn't listen. I heard what I wanted to hear. I listened to what I wanted to listen to. And how many times had Jesus walked the seashore preaching, i got to go to Calvary. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm not going to stay there. And here are these men talking about their Messiah being crucified. And Jesus joins himself to them. And said, hey, why are you counting us? What's going on? What are you talking about? He said, oh, you must be a stranger in these parts, don't you know? And they begin to talk to him. And it's amazing to me that they begin to tell him exactly what he had been preaching. They said, chief, chief priests and scribes, they crucified. And he's buried. And one 
them spoke up and said, oh, by the way, this is the third day. You'd think the light bulb would have went on. The bell would have rung. Something would have jarred in their memory. But I'm telling you, you can get so broken, so confused, so battered and bruised. But you don't know up, you don't know up from down, right from left. And the Bible says that Jesus said, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets. And he began at Moses. He began to tell them the story all over again. And they got to listening and they, they started liking it. Boy, this stranger knows a lot, don't he? They got to their house. And I love it because he who was supposed to be the guest became the host. And as they sat down, and the Bible says that he took bread and he broke it. And he blessed it. And on the other side of broken, two men that just a few minutes earlier were so confused, so broken, their eyes were open. The Bible said, they said one another, to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? Don't you love it the times when you come to church and you're, bru- you're broken and you're bruised and you're battered and your pastor steps to the pulpit and he makes something, uh, some kind of statement along this uh, uh, wise uh, that I come to church tonight uh, with a message, uh, but since I've been here, God's been dealing with me. I, I don't have any notes tonight, uh, but I feel like God wants to talk to somebody. And you sit there goggle-eyed, bug-eyed, as God begins to walk right down where you're living. You didn't tell him anything, but I'm telling you tonight, God knows where you are. In your state of brokenness, He's there to get you on the other side. And they left there running to the disciples, and it just ballooned, it blossomed. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 27, Paul said, hey, you don't need to get on that ship. But they did, they didn't listen. Now the storm is blowing all around them. They're about to lose their mind. What are we to do? Paul said, don't worry, my friends. I've been talking to my friend. I've been talking to the CEO. The one's got everything under control. And he said, if you'll just stay with the ship. Brother, can you put Acts, Acts 27 and 41 up there for me? I want you to see this. Stay with the ship. Falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken for the violence of the waves. Verse 44. And the rest. Now, they could have jumped ship. A lot of us would have jumped ship. You crazy preacher. Look at those waves. Look at that lightning. Look what's already happened to the ship. Just stay with the ship. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they all escaped all safe to land. Can I tell you, on the other side of broken. And you come to church sometime and it's easy to sit on one side and look across at the other side and see somebody that you think they're not going through anything. And it's not fair, Brother Riggin, because they got a huge piece of plywood to hold on to. And all I got is this little tiny two by four. I've come to preach to you tonight. Hold on with everything that's within you to that little two by four and ride out the rain waves, ride out the storm, because if you'll stay with the ship... Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I like you preaching and I love you, but I'm going to go across town where there's no problems. I'm going to go down the road. Well, friend, when you left and you go to the new church, they got a bucket load of problems. Because you have problems. Just stay where God planted you. Stay with the ship. And on the other side of brokenness, everything will be all right. I'm hurrying tonight. Why the wilderness, preacher? Why the desert? The wilderness was not created to destroy us. It was created to develop us. And hear me tonight, what you do and how you respond in the wilderness determines what side of the river you die on. 
Preacher, it's dark. It's dreary. It's cold. It's lonely out here in the night season. I got scripture for that. Weeping may endure for a night. Let me just throw this in here while we edit, okay? I'm not talking about sometimes a little short time. I don't know how long your night season is, but what you have to hold on to is that weeping may endure for a night, but joy. But joy. It's already been talked about here tonight. But joy cometh in the morning. There's a fairly new song out, Southern Gospel Radio. Very powerful song. The chorus says it's almost morning. Joy will replace the tears. Calm all your darkest fears. It won't be long. Till the dawn tomorrow is another day. To live free from all your pain. So don't give up on your faith. Because it's almost morning. It's almost morning. Child of God, you just got to hold on and be willing to ride out the brokenness, ride out the storm, go through the fiery furnace, go through the lion's den, because it's almost morning. Oh, I know it's so dark right now you can't see your hand in front of your face and you're shooting this back at me because you're having a hard time believing. I'm telling you tonight, there is another side of brokenness. There's victory on the horizon. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There is victory for the child of God. Hallelujah. The prophet Joel writes in a time of immorality and brokenness. Trouble everywhere he turned, everywhere he looked. He wrote in Joel chapter 1 verse 4, That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar eaten. Everything's been eaten. Everything's been destroyed. I'm not sure tonight... I didn't have all my study materials with me. I'm not for sure how long between chapter 1 and chapter 2. But through the eyes of faith, Joel, under the inspiration of God, picked up his pen. And I'm going to tell you what God wants to do here tonight. God wants to begin. It was mentioned today. God wants to begin to do some restoration. Restoration. You ever been to an antique shop? Oh, it's beautiful. Many of those antiques have been restored. Homes down in the deep south that were pulverized by cannonballs during the Civil War, you would never know it because they've been restored to their former glory. Some of them are totally gone, but there have been many that have been restored. I have visited and taken tours of many of them. God wants to restore some things tonight in your heart, your mind, and your life. Everything may have been eaten and destroyed, you think, but Joel writes in 2 and 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He hath given you the former rain moderately, and He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years, not the seconds, minutes, weeks, months, but the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm with my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Restoration. We serve a God tonight of restoration. We serve a God that is interested in you more than you can even imagine tonight. He did not go to the cross and die in vain. He did not go to the cross that you could stump by your toe and stumble and fall and He kicked you to the curb. But He's hip in heaven and He sits high and He looks low and He still rules and reigns in the affairs of men. 
And He wants to restore some things tonight. How soon, how quickly we forget that we were broken by sin. And God found us. We were broken, but we weren't broken up because at an altar, we had to break our will. God had to break our will. I'm telling you, brokenness is always a part of life. He filled us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When we repented of our sins, we went down in the watery grave in the only name given among men whereby we must be saved, the name of Jesus. And we started walking with God. But we're not perfect. We've slipped. We failed. We've made mistakes. We've rebelled. We've said things we shouldn't say. We've gone places we shouldn't go. We've done things we shouldn't do. And here comes the brokenness again. But that's where restoration comes in. Hallelujah. I can't remember exactly what Pastor Riggin said verbatim this morning, but he was talking about the devil working on our minds. And I don't mind as the devil's playground and workshop. He controls so many people by their mind, their thoughts, mindsets that they cannot shake loose, that they're not willing to let go of. But I'm telling you tonight, if you'll be willing to let go and throw it on the altar, God wants to start the restoration project. Oh, it may not all happen here tonight, but He wants to get it started. But He's looking for a vessel. He's looking for a vessel that was found in Jeremiah chapter 18 when Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he saw the vessel scarred and marred and broken in the potter's hand. The potter had every right to throw it aside and pick up something else, but Noah, he picked it back up and he set it back on the potter's wheel. Oh God, our prayer needs to be tonight. God, keep me on the potter's wheel. I don't want to be a reject. I don't want to be a castaway. Don't throw me aside, but let me stay in your hands. Oh, it's not fun, friend, when we come to church and we know we're not doing right. We've messed up. Our attitude stinks. And the preacher gets up and God begins to put his hands on us. You see, we, we too soon forget that every time your pastor steps to this pulpit, he's a God-called, God-anointed man of God. It's not, and I'm going to say this with all due respect, it's not Brother Gregory Riggin that's just standing up here in the flesh. You're hearing the voice of God. That's just his personal opinion. Well, take that up with God and ask God if that's his personal opinion. We do that, though, because we just push it. We don't like that. We, we, we like all that part makes us jump and run, but that part makes us go, Oh, me! Ouch! If the clay could talk, I promise you it, it wouldn't be. It's just like as a kid growing up, friend. I got plenty and not enough spankings. But not one time, Brother Reagan, did I ever say, Whoa! Daddy, give me another. <laughs> Matter of fact, the clay cannot talk. The Bible speaks about that, the clay not talking to the potter. If it's talking, you're not clay. Clay just melts in the potter's hands. And there's rough edges he's got to try to work out. Things he's got to get rid of. In a state of brokenness. But isn't it a beautiful sight when you walk into that pottery house and you see the finished product? But it's on the other side of broken. Hallelujah. I'm almost done tonight. On the other side of broken, there's a life that's been repaired. This life wasn't handled by just anyone but the one who truly cares. Smashed and shattered until it could be recognized no more. Who could have known what his mighty hand had in store? On the other side of broken, spiritual eyes can take flight, finally seeing meaning to the darkness of the night. No longer stalked by the ferocious lions of despair, this life, although broken now, soars on divine wings of holy air. 
On the other side of broken, much questioning will cease. Not because of answers found, but because of His sweet peace. Like the dew from the heavens will it shower your soul. It's here that you realize He really has been in control. On the other side of broken, you accept your calling to become not just one of the multitude, no, but a vessel carefully chosen, a peculiar one. No longer can you reside on the shelf of the mundane. You are now appointed with distinction, a precious valuable to be claimed. So while you are on the anvil, being pounded away or placed within the heated oven to mold your soul to stay, if only you can remember this one thing on that day, your vessel is being chosen and on the other side of broken will become priceless clay. Another tool the devil is working in this last hour, these last days, is getting people to question their salvation. Question the validity of a place called heaven. I'm telling you, it's real. It's not the figment of our imagination. You don't know the people I've heard in the last several months say, I just don't know if I'm going to make it. And friend, if they don't make it, I ain't going. The devil has a way of working on us. Discouraging. Getting us depressed. Questioning everything. Hallelujah. Uh, It's real tonight. I'm not preaching something out in La La Land tonight. This is reality. This is where a lot of people are living right now. People that have never had to want for anything are now wondering how they're going to pay the next bill. They don't have enough money to put in the gas tank. Laid off of a job. Talk about good people. I've got a dear friend, much older than I am. Matter of fact, I call him an uncle. There's no flesh and blood, but we've been very close to the years. Our family. Reagan, he's worked 40 years for a company. One of the top men, and they walked in and handed him the pink slip. 40 years of commitment and dedication. No more job, friend. What do you do? You keep your faith and trust in God and say, Hey, God, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. But God, I'm in your hands. It goes back to that faith closing its eyes to what it sees. And you know what? There's going to be times that you're going to run or a smack dab and stuff. The temptation's going to be there to open those eyes. But if you'll put your hand in God's hand, He'll never lead you astray. He won't lead you wrong, but you've got to keep your hand there. You can't keep pulling it back. You can't keep saying, okay, God, you've done enough. Now let me try a little bit. We'll never be able to do it. The Bible says it is not in man to direct his own steps, but we try sometimes. We try it awful hard. Can I remind us tonight that on the other side of this broken life, there's a place that we're sung about tonight. No more weeping. No more pain. I'm telling you, it's not a figment of my imagination. It's going to happen. It is a real place. He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may be also. There's mansions there. Streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. It's for you and I. But we've got to get on the other side of broken. As we stand tonight, the musicians come. Hallelujah. On the other side of broken. Again, Pastor made mention of it today. Job's attitude. God finally got involved. He said, now shut up and sit down, Job. And I'm pretty sure that's where Job thought in his mind. He said, if I'd have just kept my mouth shut. Because now we got God talking. 
Where were you, Job? And if you're going through something tonight, I challenge you to go home the next few days and begin reading at chapter, I believe it's 38. Yes, read chapter 38 to the end. The questions and the things that he talks to Job about that Job, if he had studied all his life, could have never come up with the answers. Things that make you say, wow, I never thought of it that way. God letting Job know that I'm still in control, son. I got everything in the palm of my hand. You'll just trust me. You said you were going to trust me. You know what? We got a lot of good talkers in Pentecost, but not enough walkers. Heard somebody say sometime, quit talking about it and walk about it. In chapter 40, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer. And Job's like, Hey, God, I'll just keep my mouth shut. I done, I done opened the can of worms. I can't shut now. And God continues, chapter 42, Job answers the Lord, and, well, he got a revelation. I know that thou canst do everything. Well, if we get that revelation. And that no thought can be withheld from thee. He said, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now, what did he say in 19 and 26? In my flesh I shall see God. He said, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And to me, probably one of the most interesting verses in all of the Bible. Verse number 10, on the other side of broken. And the Lord turned to the captivity of Job when he prayed for his situation. When he boohooed and cried, snotted, went through a box of Kleenexes? No. When he prayed for his friends... He understood his friends were in worse shape than he was because they didn't have a clue what was going on. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. And the Bible says that Job died being old and full of days, but it didn't happen until Job got on the other side of broken. Prayed for his friends. I've preached about it and I've actually heard a lot of preaching in the last several months, exhortation about it, but and it's not easy. It is not easy, Brother Regan. When we are the ones going through it, things aren't working out for you and I, and that's all we can see in front of us, that we're cross-eyed. To get down in your prayer closet and say, God, you know what? You already know where I am. You know what I'm going through. But I need you to touch Brother so-and-so. I'm going to pray for that next-door neighbor. No, Job prayed. Matter of fact, God sent those friends to Job. Said Job's going to pray for you. Don't you know they had to swallow their pride and ego. When Job prayed for it, when he got, you see, here's our problem. This is one of, and I, I battle it, and I've prayed. God, you got to help me. You got to deliver me from it. It's S E L F. Self. Caught up our own little world. It's the American way. It's all about you. It's all about me. Our brothers and sisters can be right next to us dying. And it's not that we don't care, but it's okay. God, fix my little problem first, then I'll go help somebody else. No, I wonder what would happen in Pentecost tonight if we'd get out beyond ourselves and realize. 
Just do some things that God tells us to do. It, let me tell you right now, there's a lot of teen, times in living for God that's not going to make sense. Put your notepad, your pencil, and your calculator up right now. Do it tonight, right now. It's not going to make sense. It didn't make any sense for God to tell Abraham to take his promise, his only son, take him up to a mountain somewhere and offer him up a sacrifice. That didn't make sense. Abraham didn't question. He just did it. It didn't make any sense when an angel showed up out of nowhere and said, young lady, you're fixing to have a child. Woo, try to explain that one to mom and daddy in the city. It didn't make any sense, but what was Mary's response? Is that this is a response you and I need to have here tonight. Be it unto me according to thy word, God. Whatever the greatest act of faith. You understand what she, she didn't have a clue what she was facing down life's journey. Just that moment she was already engaged. She didn't realize that Joseph was being talked to. He had a right according to the law to put her away. The ridicule that she had to face and probably did face because some people didn't ever get on the same board. On board with the situation. She had to watch her son be ridiculed and rejected and crucified. But she did it. Did it make sense? There was a lot of brokenness. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we just got to go beyond ourselves and realize God's working. Amen, night. You can't see Him working in your situation, but He's working right now. The gears are turning. Things are coming together. You, you'd argue with me. All right, nothing happening, Brother Witt. Beg to differ. God never sits still. God's constantly working and moving. He had a plan from the beginning. Has it shocked him? He's not worried about it. He knows what's going on. When the brothers of Joseph, now that daddy's dead, think he's going to take it out on him, he said, listen, boys, you don't understand. God did it. You read it. God did it. Joseph understood. God did it. Why? To save much people alive. Can I tell you one of the reasons you're going through what you're going through? Because somewhere, if the Lord tarries, you're going to be able to turn around and help someone else. God's going to work. God's going to bring revival. God, your testimony is going to help save somebody. But you've got to hold on and get on the other side of brokenness. Why don't we lift our hands and worship Him here for a few minutes here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, you know where we are right now. God, you know every situation in this house, every financial need, every marital situation, every job situation. You know the economy, life itself. I pray, God, help us to understand tonight. Give us a revelation that there's another side of brokenness. That we can get beyond ourselves. That we can live another day. That there is coming a day where we can genuinely put a smile back on our face. Lift our head up. And look back down the road where you brought us from and rejoice. Hallelujah. Oh, come on church. We need to reach out right now. God's wanting to move in this house.
I've preached the burden of my heart, the burden of the hour. God's wanting to move, but somebody's got to get out of their comfort zone. Somebody's got to be man enough. You know, I've gone till I can't go anymore. I've had about all I can take. Enough is enough. I don't care what you think. I don't care what it sounds like. But from the depths of my soul, I'm going to cry out. I'm going to begin to reach out. I'm going to press my way through. I'm telling you, there comes a day and hour where your desperation has got to meet your faith. You gotta leave the house where you're at, spiritually speaking, and make your way to Jesus. You're sick, you're weak, you're at the point of death. But the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I don't need an audience with him. I don't need him laying his hand on, hand on my head. But if I can but touch him. And friend, when she did, the Bible says that Jesus stopped dead in his tracks and said, who touched me? There's a lot of needs here tonight, but I hope and pray there's somebody that will step out. Step out from your pew. Step out of your little world that you've been living in and say, God, I've got to touch you tonight. I'm not letting go until you bless me. Come on, let go of your pride. Pride will destroy you. Pride will keep you where you are. There's a... Heavenly Father that loves you tonight. He's got a blessing with your name on it. He wants you to know there is another side. I know this cave you're in is dark and lonely. It's scary. And on the other side of brokenness. On the other side of the trials and the tribulations. There's revival. Oh God bless this church with revival. Bless Pastor and Sister Regan and their family, this church family. God, help them to get on the other side of broken. To reap the benefits. To not be weary and well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God, that is a promise and we're holding on to it tonight, right now. Touch every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every marriage, every home, every job situation. God, you're able Hallelujah on the cattle on a thousand hills. God, money's nothing to you. You have it all in the palms of your hands. And we are your children. We are the sheep of your pasture. And God, you said that if we would give, it's a biblical principle that you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. There's not room enough to receive it all. God, we're standing again on that promise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Come on, reach out for him tonight. Don't be afraid to cry out. Don't be afraid to make your way through the press. Hallelujah. Blind Bartimaeus, they tried to shut him up, but the Bible says he cried out the louder, Jesus, thou son of David. You know why he cried out? Because he was desperate. He had faith and he put them together and God met him right there. God worked a miracle. Hallelujah. How bad do you want a miracle tonight? Are you tired of the situation you've been in?